one, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we discuss our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today, my guest is Brian. How's it going, Brian? Good, good. How, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Well, I am... First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I am, um, I guess I, I work full time, not much free time. What, what free, free time I do have is a lot of movies. Um, so that's one thing that, that I do enjoy. Um, I do have some experience dealing with the mental health you know, environment, so to speak, whether it's um, you know, support groups, whether it's dealing with different mental health organizations in the country, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so you could say this is the two things that I'm passionate about, uh, movies and about mental health. Before we get into your list topic, what are some of your favorite movies in general? Uh, just movies that wouldn't make it onto your list today, but movies that you really love that people might not know about. That's a good question. <laughs> one that I don't know if I could have uh, just one. I love Almost Famous. I love The Commitments. I've seen The Commitments probably, I don't know how many times. Sing Street. I, I love Sing Street. That's a great film. And uh, uh, Blinded by the Light. I loved Blinded by the Light. Very similar to Sing Street. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of differences. And it's not necessary to like Bruce Springsteen, even though that is a decidedly Bruce Springsteen-themed movie. Um, so I guess those would be my, um, I guess, recent favorites. For almost famous, it would be like maybe an all-time favorite, I suppose. Cool. So safe to say you're into uh, a lot of music-based movies? Yeah. Uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. Um, that's a classic Absolutely, which only came out on video fairly recently, I might add. About I would say in the last ten years, I want to say. Uh, movies like the 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 Tammy show, the T A M I show, the one with the uh, the Stones and James Brown, and that one I've never heard of actually. And apparently, that's a movie. Well, not the movie, but the performance that reportedly impressed Mick Jagger hmm. with James Brown, because James Brown was at the same show. Because I remember when the, um, the, the Chad Bozeman movie came out a few years ago. And Mick Jagger apparently was one of, I don't know if this is true or not, but he may have been one of the producers of the film. And one of the things that, that turned on Mick Jagger to James Brown was James Brown's performance at the, the Tammy show. So that's a little fun factor trivia as it you know, pertains to the Tammy show. I, I'm all over the place, you know, documentaries, <laughs> um, you know, regular movies. I, I love documentaries, you know, RBG, oh, yeah. uh, F Three Identical Strangers. Uh, Three Identical Strangers is like a Hitchcock movie. It is. I actually just watched that one earlier this year. Yeah, that, and that movie was amazing. You know, the RBG movie, the, the Mr. Rogers movie, not the one with Tom Hanks, but the original documentary. Uh, I remember seeing that the the, the the Tom Hanks one and just being not disappointed, but sort of disappointed because <laughs> it didn't live up to. I just wish they would have left it alone. Sure. I, I really. And, um, so, yeah, I'm all I'm all over the place as far as movies and genre, even silent film. I love a lot of silent film. 
uh, not, and I have to say it's not D.W. Griffith. I'm not a big D.W. Griffith fan. You know, and I, and I know that he has some good movies that are not, you know, Intolerance or Birth of a Nation, but um, stuff like Napoleon, you know, the Abel Gantz movie, uh, stuff like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, stuff like Metropolis, the, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the restored one. There's even a movie that not quite made my list, Pages of Madness, which as a silent movie did not have the inner titles. So it's a silent movie that you can kind of make your own inner titles for. Huh. Like early, I want to say Japanese film from 1930s, I want to say, 1920s, 30s range. Um, so yeah, uh, like Italian neo- neorealist, film noir, silent, art house mainstream you know all over the place i am i'm all over the place movie wise it's awesome so you've got obviously a deep passion a deep love and a deep knowledge for movies why don't you tell everybody what you chose for your topic today what i chose for my topic was five films that reflect mental health issues this topic is is i guess close to my heart because i've seen one too many lists of this sort that have, and, and I have to be careful how I phrase this because I don't know if you have any on your list that would beat this criteria, but I've seen one too many lists that have movies that I personally feel have negative depictions and characterizations of mental illness. And, you know, and, and, and I'll re- refrain from giving any examples. But I think when someone puts out a list saying, okay, these are the, the great movies about depression. These are the great movies about bipolar. And they're all movies that promulgate stereotypes and stigma. I think that kind of defeats the whole purpose of there being, you know, uh, you know conversation. Right. That. So I've always been very skeptical of lists like that. I will say, though, I've seen Melancholia on numerous lists, which no complaints with that. But that would be, I guess, an exception. That's not on my list, by the way. It would maybe be in, be in my top 10 or top 20, but not, not in my top five. I took this topic really seriously as well as somebody who, and I'm just going to open up here, I've dealt with depression for a very long time. Um, so I did want to do this list justice and... And really take it seriously. And I think I've got five on my list that don't fall into that criteria that you were talking about in that they either don't depict it the right way or portray it in a negative light. Um, And I I will actually, after we do our list, I'll talk about one that I really loved when I was younger, but rewatched recently. And I think it has a very negative portrayal of how to deal with mental illness. And we'll talk about that later. Correct. Before we get into our list, though, let's talk about what we have been watching lately. And I will kick it off with a movie that I was very, very disappointed in. I wanted to watch something silly and something that was just kind of irreverent at the time. And I chose to watch Jay and Silent Bob reboot. This son of a bitch doesn't have a dick. He's got a fucking dick. He just got a tough dick. Identify yourselves, motherfuckers! I'm Jay, and this is my head with life mate, Silent Bob! Don't tell me you guys have no idea there's a new comic book movie being made of the old comic book movie you two are the basis for. That old ass star-studded piece of shit, that movie sucked balls. 
suck asshole too. Your Honor, I object. I'll allow it. That movie did suck balls and asshole. We got three days to get to Hollywood and stop this reboot from ever happening. Boys, I had a baby. Jay, brace yourself. You're about to meet our love child. I think I'm gonna need to see a blood test. No, Jay. This is my daughter, Millennium Falcon. Can you take us to Hollywood with you? Fuck no, man. It's a tough-ass neighborhood. Either you take us to Hollywood, or I stab you both to death on my own front fucking lawn. And on that note, we cue the music. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I wish. Where, where, where's the mute button? <laughs> this was a mistake. This was a mistake to watch. Are you a Kevin Smith fan? I am, actually, yes. See, I've been a Kevin Smith supporter ever since I saw Clerks way back. I must. I was a little late on Clerks. I think I watched Clerks in 99, 2000, something like that. Somebody at work said, you got to watch Clerks. You're a movie fan. So I watched Clerks and... Loved it, and I love Chasing Amy. And even though Mallrats is kind of a dumb movie, I, I still really <laughs> love Mallrats. And then everything Kevin Smith would do, I would I was on board, even if I didn't love it. And then going back and looking at his filmography, I really haven't loved anything he's done since Chasing Amy. You know, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was a movie that a lot of people loved, and I didn't really think was funny. I actually rewatched that last year, and it did not hold up at all. So we get Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and it's like, you know what? I gotta give Kevin Smith another shot because I love the guy, and I, I just, I think he has so much talent, but it just doesn't show up on screen. And you really see that in this movie with one specific scene. There's a ton of cameos in here from his older movies, but there's one specifically with a Star, and I won't say the name because I don't want to spoil anything. But there's a really, really sweet speech about becoming a parent and basically like your station in life once you become a parent and it made me so sad because I'm watching the rest of this movie thinking there's so much talent that Kevin Smith has for writing as demonstrated in this one speech but the rest of this is simply what he would say is dick and fart jokes and they just don't work and then he also chooses to cast his daughter in things which she's an okay actress but I don't think this movie was funny at all. There's there's one part I think that was funny, and it stars another big actor as a hologram, and he's in a, he's in the film for maybe a minute, and it's the best part of the movie. But the rest of it just fell so flat for me. What did you think of this one, or did you see this one? I I did. I feel like if I were, it, it, it's a level of humor that if I were thirteen or fourteen. I would have appreciated a, a, a little more. <laughs> that I, I don't know if that's the, the proper way of, of putting it. I think it would be. Uh, <laughs> and, and the tough thing is, like, the people that are watching this are people that laughed along with Mallrats when they were 13. Yeah, and we're not yeah. 13 anymore. Like, your films yeah. have to grow up with the people that watch your films. And you as a filmmaker need to grow up. And it's just not. This is one of the worst movies that I've seen this year. Well, well, there, well, there's one scene where, and, and I, I'm pretty sure this is not a spoiler, but there's one scene at the very beginning where they make, and I'm just paraphrasing something about, oh, well, only an idiot be watching this movie, and they look right at the camera. Yeah. And everyone watching that at that moment going, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and it never gets better than that. I, I, there's an interesting <laughs> kind of diatribe that 
it's Jason Lee's character from yeah. Chasing Amy, Banksy. He's yeah. describing remakes and reboots and what that means to Jay and Silent Bob. And I thought that was slightly amusing. And I thought at that point, uh, is it going to get better? And that's when they look at the camera and basically call you an idiot for watching. And an hour and a half later, I realized they were right. I, I would avoid it. If you're a Jalen Silent Bob fan, I mean, I, I guess give it a shot, but I would consider myself an early Jane Silent Bob fan, and I thought this was terrible. What's something that you've been watching? I've been watching, interestingly enough, and I'm, I'm typically not a fan of quote-unquote faith-based movies. I have been giving Fatima um, a shot. This is one based on the apparition of the Virgin Mary. If someone were to say to you why what happened all those years ago had to have happened to you, how would you respond? Because it was necessary. And do you have any regrets? I haven't done enough to please my mother. Which mother? Every time I read the name of one of our boys who lost his life, I have a great admiration for them. They defend our progressive ideas that will free our country from religious superstitions. that I'm sort of giving this a, a, a shot is that the director is the son of Gilles Paterkovo, who directed the uh, Battle of Algiers. Oh, one yeah. of the best non-scripted, but sort of scripted, oh, is it scripted movies ever made? And I'll be honest with you, I, I liked the original version, you know, whether it's Song of Bernadette or Miracle, because there's, if you want, if you're in the mood for like something innocent and wholesome and whatnot, those fit the bill. I mean, the, the, granted they're cheesy, you know, granted you get the, you know, the voice of God narration. And I think in both movies, the Fatima, the, the, the 2020 version from what, from what I've seen so far, it's more gritty. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm honestly not sure what to think of it. Um, it does have a definite point of view. And I say that in terms of a movie like Pan's Labyrinth, where it makes no bones about its political leanings, as right. it were. Fatima is the same way, but 180 opposite. So, and this is a movie that that states up front in the movie's beginning, going, here's what, here's our point of view. And I sort of wish that it didn't do that because it, A, ticks off half the audience, and then, you know, B sort of shows her cards up front, which I don't think a good movie should be doing. Um, it also is framed in a flashback. Uh, Harvey Keitel being uh, a researcher and I want to say Sonia Braga, I think it is, playing the, the nun who he's questioning. Uh, so part of me wishes that it was not in a flashback sort of because that's a very conventional way to tell a story right lately and more so when the two prior versions at least two prior versions are all non-flashback so that's one that i've been watching um also magnolia i'm watching magnolia again the paul thomas anderson uh 
Yeah, classic. I can never get enough of that movie. I just there's so much that you catch each time you watch it. Whether it's one of the oh, and, and you know that opening sequence where they they give you that little coincidences little yeah. epilogue. Uh, Patton As- uh, Oswalt is one of the the characters in that opening sequence. Oh, and just a tiny bit role. Yeah, and and the and the narration is by Ricky Jay. Ricky Jay, I'm not sure if you know this, he was a, a very famous magician. Yep. Who was in a lot of David Mamet's movies. And, and actually also in uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, the, the Prestige. But there's just so much in Magnolia that just, every time I see it, I just get something else out of it. Speaking of Ricky Jay, I just watched him in Heist, and uh, he's so good oh, in that yeah, movie yeah. as uh, yes. Pinky. It's been a long time since I've seen Magnolia. I remember walking away thinking that's the best Tom Cruise performance I've ever seen. I don't think it is, but it it does rank up there. No, no doubt about it. I'd put it up there with like Born on the Fourth of July. Cool. I've seen one more thing that I want to talk about. I got my Vinegar Syndrome DVD in of the long-awaited Spellcaster from 1988. Spellcaster is one that a lot of people were really looking forward to. I had never seen it, so I ordered it sight unseen. I think it has a great premise. It's about a show called Rock TV, which is basically like an MTV thing. And they hold a contest where people from around the globe are selected to participate in this scavenger hunt at a castle. And they're looking for a million dollar check in this castle. They're told the only rules are that the check is in the castle and you don't need to tear anything to find it. So the participants start looking for this check. Now, unfortunately, the owner of the castle is the titular spellcaster. So things in the mansion start going goofy. There's, uh, there's a lot of cool special effects in here that are all uh, practically done. Now, I was a bit disappointed in this because when you watch Vinegar Syndrome Blu-rays, there's a lot of really cool gore and exploitation stuff, and there was none of that in this. It was basically a PG-13 movie, and I really think that, that it could benefit from an R-rated remake. The characters in it are all basic caricatures the drunk rock star the the rich kid the fat guy who just likes eating the french sex pot the british is hunter that the one, is that the one with kelly preston or am i thinking of a different movie that one's different this one is bunty bailey is one of the main standouts uh she's she plays a pop star in it there's uh, gail o'grady's in it harold pruitt's in it and then Adam Ant plays Mr. Diabali, which is weird. Like they, they say Adam Ant, you know, he when he's revealed, it's like, oh, it's this big secret that it's Adam yeah. Ant. And it's one of those moments that as you watch it, you're thinking, oh, that was probably really cool in a theater. But he's yeah. on the cover. Like there's no mistaking it for a secret. I didn't hate it. It was it had some fun moments, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. The movie actually takes forever to get to get going, which I think is to its detriment. It takes 35 minutes before they're even in the castle searching for this check. I thought it could have been a lot better. So the package is great. Vinegar Syndrome's releases are renowned for their pristine quality, and this is no different. It looks great. It's only got a couple of extras on there. If you're not super into this movie to begin with, honestly, I think it'd be tough to recommend. All right, well, let's get to our list. Our topic, of course, five films that reflect mental health issues. Did you um, order your list in any specific way? Is it like worst to best or? Well, oddly enough, my, my number five to number one rank 
the oldest one's number five, the newest one's number one. And th- th- I don't know if that was deliberate, but it just ended up that way. So the one that I like the best would be the most recent. And, you know, and I like them all the best. You know, they're all movies that I would easily recommend. Yeah. Um, a few, a couple of controversial uh, titles in the mix. All right. I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> My list is actually in the opposite order of yours. So mine is going to go from newest to oldest. Oh, cool. All right. So what is your number five on films that reflect mental health issues? So my number five pick is a movie that not many people know about, which is a shame because I think it is an amazing movie. It's a movie from 1957 called Fear Strikes Out. What is there about Tony Perkins that made the young people of America acclaim him as their star of the future? Something half hidden behind his eyes, something wild but warm in his face, that makes you know that here is an exciting, explosive new screen personality. And now, climaxing his skyrocket rise to the top, Paramount presents his first starring picture, Fear Strikes Out, an actual story of youth today, defiant, violent. Jimmy, who fell in love with the same all-consuming energy that he lived. I don't care what happens. I love you, Mary. Jimmy, who faced the teenage problem of a boy whose father drove him to the edge of desperation. You want to call you yeller? Well, if that's what you want, you're no son of mine, then. Jimmy, who balanced on the ragged edge of rage and violence, twisted and trapped by a world he never made. I want to help. Well, I don't need any help. Which... Honestly, is a terrible name for a movie because you don't know what if it's a horror movie, if it's, you know, what it's about. Fear Strikes Out is about, it's a, based on a true story with Anthony Perkins, a pre-psycho, playing a baseball player from the Boston Red Sox, Jimmy Purcell. It is a, not necessarily a biopic necessarily, but it does cover his dealing with bipolar. Now, this is a a very significant movie in many ways because having um, a mental illness depiction in movies of this era was not unheard of, but it was unheard of if it was a male character. That's what I found very significant about this. The other thing that I liked, well, I don't know if like would be the right word, but because I'm not a big Carl Malden fan. Carl Malden plays his dad in this film, who is absolutely riding his ass throughout the whole movie. And it sort of none too subtly suggests that, oh, maybe his relation with his father contributed to him getting institutionalized. Now, the institutionalized part of the movie comes at the behest of the Boston Red Sox. It's not by virtue of his own admission or by, uh, you know, other not, you know, involuntary committed, but it was at the request of the Boston Red Sox in, in the film. And like I said, I just find it, I just remember seeing it for the first time and I was thinking, why don't more people know about this movie? You know, people know about the Jackie Robinson movie. They know about, you know, The Natural. They know about, you know, any number of, you know, that the, the John Sayles movie about the, uh, you know, the um, that baseball scandal. So yeah. how did this movie 
get to be like forgotten about? I mean, was it because, and it was directed, it was directed by Robert Mulligan, who would go on to direct To Kill a Mockingbird. So you're talking about A-grade a actors, A-grade director, and the movie is like forgotten. It's like no one even knows this movie exists, which just blows my mind because it's a very, very good movie. The, um, the cast is overwhelmingly all men. It's not, you know, it's not Glengarry Glenn Ross, but right. it's over, overwhelmingly all men. It's all, you know, Jimmy Purcell, it's his dad. It's, you know, the, the people from the White Sox, you know, his, his wife is maybe and his, his girlfriend and then wife is in the movie, maybe like two scenes, <laughs> yeah. if that much. So it, it's a movie about mental, mental health issues, specifically bipolar, from a male perspective. For that era, that's like, you know, groundbreaking. You know, I can only imagine how this movie would have been received for people living in, you know, in this era. But I remember seeing the movie and it just, it just blew me away when I saw it. This is one that I had never heard of until I was, I was doing a list a few months back on top sports movies. And I was looking up just to see what other people had as their top baseball films. And this one came up and I had never heard of it and I still haven't been able to watch it, but your recommendation definitely pushes me closer to watching it. That's a great pick that uh, I'm sure a lot of people have never heard of. So Um, I will go with my number five. It's actually from this year, 2020. It deals with a mental health issue called PICA. PICA is a disorder characterized by an appetite for substances that aren't normally eaten. And the film that tackles this is called Swallow. Do I make you happy? I'm the happiest man in the whole world. I feel so lucky. You're not mad at me? Mom, we're pregnant. About what? I just want to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong. You couldn't do anything wrong, even if you tried. So what did you do for money before you met my son? Retail, mostly. A lucky break. I'm just real grateful. Fake it till you make it. Are you happy? Or are you pretending? It was marketed as a horror movie, and I'm pretty sure A24 is the one that distributed it. So it, it comes out. And it's oh, I really want this... to see it now. A24. <laughs> but it's not a horror movie. It's a it's a dramatic movie that just has these kind of kind of a Hitchcockian theme to it. Yeah. Essentially, it follows this young woman played by Haley Bennett, who is amazing in this role. Uh, a lot of people say she reminds them of Jennifer Lawrence. I kind of see that. I, I just think she's a terrific actress. She lives in this really big house with this successful husband, and she becomes she starts becoming emotionally distant with this husband, and she develops pika, which allows her, well, forces her to start consuming things around the house that aren't supposed to be eaten. And it starts with something innocent, ice, but then it moves on to a marble, and then batteries, 
and then other things which I won't say. You'll have to you'll have to find that out for yourself. It's a really interesting look at a disorder that's not often explored, and a lot of the real drama comes in when she discovers that she's pregnant. So she's been eating all these things, and now all of a sudden she's pregnant, and we get to see where that disorder goes. It's also a movie with really amazing sound design. She lives in this very cold, very open house, and when she puts something in her mouth, like a marble, for example, you hear the click of the marble against her teeth and on her tongue. It's really well shot, and it brings awareness to something that I did not know was a real disorder until I watched it. Highly recommended. That's Swallow from 2020. It's directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis. Uh, It's a stunning-looking film. I would definitely seek this out and watch it. Now, if you watch the trailer, again, it's going to market it as a horror movie. It's not a horror movie, but it is very, very good. And most anything A24, that immediately goes to the top of my watch list. (laughs) It it just does. It's going to be one of two A24 films on my list. My number four pick is, and this would be a controversial, I guess you could say controversial because when I, when I tell you what it's about, I know it might raise some eyebrows. A movie from 1964 called Lilith. Lilith, the girl, different from all others. Just as Lilith, the picture, is different from all others. As you will know, the web of most normal spider species is as distinctive and invariable as their coloring. But the mad ones spin out fantastic and rather nightmarish designs. Is this your lady? Yes. Crown our queen of love and beauty. She's trying to seduce you. It's not just a physical thing. It's it's much uh, much more than that. Almost like she wants to share this magic little world of hers. This was directed by Robert Rosin, who was no stranger to the House Un-American Committees uh, and and their shenanigans going on at the time. Uh, Warren Beatty. This is an early Warren Beatty movie with uh, an actress named Jean Seberg who that might, you know, some eyebrows might be raised with that name. Warren Beatty plays a, a newly hired therapist at an inpatient hospital. Uh, now, now, I phrase this as an inpatient hospital because one of the characters makes that distinction. The prevailing sentiment was that many inpatient hospitaliz- hospitalizations would be of the st- uh, stereotypical asylum or non-voluntary committed. This hospital, or I don't know if you could even use the word hospital, but inpatient care center is, a, a, is according to the, 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 the depiction in the movie, is where family, family members bring in their, their loved ones to be cared for. So that right there caught my attention, as does the plot, which is the Warren Beatty um, gets a little too close I'm talking about in the romantic type, yeah, which is a no-no. You know that's huge. You know, deservedly so. You know, right, rightfully so. You know, you don't 
get involved with, you know, clients. This is, like I said, the, 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 the characterization of schizophrenia in the film, uh, which was the, the Lilith character. There's a ton of supporting roles. Uh, Peter Fonda, in particular, uh, Gene Hackman. This is before oh, wow. Buddy and Clyde. Early Gene Hackman. Someone who's in another movie, ironically enough, that's in my list. Uh, but I felt that this movie doesn't demonize someone with schizophrenia. If anything, she's a, um, it's almost like, a, like a, not quite a film noir, but she's, she's a real flesh and blood person. And that's something that, that I can appreciate. It doesn't put and and same similarly with other people at at this um, inpatient center, which again it's not a hospital per se, though there are doctors there. Warren Beatty's involvement with Gene Seberg is noticed by the staff, so it's not a movie that is ambivalent to the uh, impropriety of, of their relationship. Uh, but it is a controversial pick. I mean, there there's no doubt about it. I mean, it is something that watching it by today's standards. There's a lot in, in the movie that would be problematic, and deservedly so. Um, I do have it on my list because, again, it's something where someone depicted as having schizophrenia is is shown as essentially a real person, you know, a flesh and blood person. And it also shows the Warren Beatty character, his transformation he's at first is skeptical you know he, he's just you know oh it's just going to be some job you know punch the clock so to speak he's at a quote-unquote insane asylum a, a term that shows up in in the dialogue unfortunately but as it turns out it's not an insane asylum it's you know he, he meets someone who he um you know inevitably cares about um it does have a jousting there's a jousting scene in here believe it or not um but yeah, so there's a lot of interesting um, quirks that I liked about this movie. Like I said, it's, it's a controversial pick. It's not something that all people will probably uh, agree with me on. I would defend it as being in this list, though, because other films of this era, uh, Lilith would not have been given that much three-dimensional um, character to her. Right. Um, so I think that's, a, you know, and I, th- I believe it's based on a book. Um, that's my, my understanding. I, as of many of the films of the era, the book I believe is out of print, if I'm not mistaken. So, but I would say Lilith would be my number four pick with uh, Warren Beatty and Gene uh, Seberg. That's a film that I've never heard of. Oh, you've never? Okay, yeah. So, two, yeah. So that, that's why I wanted to like dig deeper and just put a spotlight on movies that kind of uh, people don't really think about anymore, or even know about that. I think have a uh, significant perspective on a mental illness that are sort of forgotten about today. So my number four pick is one that came out in 2015. And this might be a controversial pick as well, but I, I think that it just kind of deals with general mental health. And that's Pixar's Inside Out. So, Riley, how was school? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot. School was great, all right? What was that? I thought you said we were gonna act casual. Riley, is everything okay? 
Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude, old no, man. No, 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 breathe. What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. DEFCON 2. I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Yeah, well, look. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. The foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah! Woo! Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Pixar's Inside Out is not the first time that they've dealt with mental illness. Uh, you've got films like Finding Nemo that deals with trauma, uh, you know, as a parent letting go of that trauma and letting your kid be on their own. It also deals with amnesia, a different kind of mental health issue. But this is the first film that they produced where it was really put at the forefront and it was the point of the film. It's about a girl named Riley who moves from Minnesota to the Bay Area and as she navigates this we're introduced to her emotions. Uh, she's got joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness and they sort of control Riley from this control deck kind of setup in her brain. And we do see some depression that comes into play for Riley with things that she's got going on in her own life, but with the characters that we are watching, it's when joy and sadness leave for a while, and that lets anger, disgust, and fear kind of run that control deck. But I think that this is a beautiful look at how joy and sadness work harmoniously to ensure that the person is has happiness overall and how we shouldn't suppress sadness, but rather embrace it. It's a really beautiful movie that has a lot to say about memories, and I thought that it was more of like a Pixar movie for kids who grew up with Pixar and then now are having kids of their own or those people who are, you know, turning into a teenager and realizing that brains and, and our thoughts are really complicated. This is a perfect movie for anybody going through tough times. And I think it was really maturely done with a subject that frankly could have been a disaster in the wrong hands. Pete Docter, the director, is always amazing, and, you know, he's dealt with some of these similar themes in his Pixar films before, but I don't think it's ever been done as well as Inside Out did it. Yeah, Inside, that was a movie, I mean, it's about feelings and emotions, and I thought that was really cool how it, essentially, I told kids, okay, it's okay to have these different feelings, and I, so that's one thing that I really, I really liked about that. Yeah, and it's got a great cast, too. Amy Poehler plays Joy. Uh, Phyllis Smith, who you'd know as Phyllis from The Office, she plays Sadness perfectly. Another Office mainstay, Mindy Kaling, plays Disgust. Bill Hader's great in this. Louis Black is great in this. There's just there's so oh, much that, to like that's here. that's right. I forgot Louis Black is in that. Yeah, and of course he plays Anger, which he does yeah, to a yeah. T. <laughs> it's funny. And kids of any age will enjoy it. But I think once kids start getting older, they'll really start to understand it. It's just, it's a beautiful look at overall mental health. And I love Inside Out. I think it's one of the best movies Pixar has ever made. My number three is, and again, this might seem like an unusual pick, but again, I would defend this as being on the list. And you had mentioned Vinegar Syndrome earlier, 
in the show. And this is not a vinegar syndrome release, but it, it very well could have been if another distributor did not, you know, snatch it up. Uh, the Swimmer from 1968 with Burt Lancaster. Well, I've got to be on my way. I'm swimming home. You're swimming home? I figured out there's a river of pools all the way to my house. Crazy idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. Well, what are you doing it for? Why do you want to do it? I think it's very original. I mean, I think it's an adventure. Come with me. I bet you never knew I had a big crush on you. You did? I was mad about you, out of my head. Come with me. Ned, please don't. Please leave me alone. We made love together in this pool. And you loved it, remember? I lied. You loved it, Shirley. I didn't. You loved it. Now, this movie is about an ad executive who swims home via his neighbor's swimming pools. <laughs> yep. So he quite literally, I mean, and that's not a metaphor, that is literally the plot of the movie. He swims home courtesy of his neighbor's swimming pools. Now, this movie, when I saw it for the first time, and obviously, there, you know, I, there's elements of the American dream, you know, blah, 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 that's been done to death. The... The, the mental illness aspect of it is just front and center because the st- when the story starts, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna have to phrase this carefully to not spoil anything. But when the when the story starts, it's it's sunlight out. It's it's got all the colors of a of a of a of a Douglas Sirk movie or a Technicolor movie. It's all just very. 60s and it's not a 60s well i guess technically it's tail end of the 60s uh marvin hamlish soundtrack some some similarity to, to Mad Men. there's a huge Mad Men vibe in the movie but the you know as you're watching the movie you start to question okay well what's really what's 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 really his story you know what's going on with him and the, the more the story goes on and the more you ask those questions the more those questions and the answers that you have in your head about it get to be more troubling. One of the things that, that, that's really noticeable about this that, that is very conspicuous and relevant to anyone who's had, you know, depression or bipolar, or, you know, anxiety, you know, any, any number of different um, diagnoses is that you can see the definitive interplay and, and, and definitive relation of the, the of the different neighbors and how they're reacting to the Bird Lancaster character, it goes from at first you know amused and and entertained at his novel idea. In fact, he has um, his, his former babysitter joins him uh, partially part of the way yep. because she's so smitten with the idea. As his journeys go on, you can see definitive. A change in how they're treating him, uh, whether it's they don't realize what he's going through. It might be because they just, you know, don't, don't know how to respond. It could be that, you know, and, and one thing that I'll say up front, and a lot of people might not like me saying this, but this Bird Lancaster character, is, he, he's a jerk. I mean, he Oh, really yeah, is. he definitely is. He's an absolute SOB. And I say that because 
having depression or having bipolar can affect anyone. You could be a saint. You could be the, you know, the, the, you know, neighbor of, of the year. You know, if you're a jerk, like the bird Lickhouse character, it could still affect you. And I say that because it, it could affect him too, <laughs> you know. And again, there's all sorts of scenarios as far as what he's really doing, where he's really going. But at the end of the day, it gets down to a, an equal mix of people not understanding, but also people who, you know, may understand, but they're just not happy with them because he's, he's stiffed them on one too many bad checks or one too many bad deals. So you see that you see a mix of that as the movie goes on. And I just thought that, that so much of this movie was just just spot on as far as what it's really like for someone who's navigating through you know a diagnosis they have, navigating through treatment and navigating through how they're being treated you know, fairly or unfairly. And I, I, again, both of those pertain to, you know, the character in question. I think if he had been, you know, a, a nicer person, some of his reactions would have been a little differently. But the fact that he was such a jerk, you know, <laughs> that really overrides a lot of what otherwise would have been more sympathetic and more understanding treatment of, of him. But I think this one is just, just front and center as far as, you know, a depiction of, of mental illness that nobody really thinks about because in this movie, it's all wrapped up in the whole, you know, death of the American dream narrative. And when you dig down deeper and you see the mental health aspect of it, it just is, you know, it's just mind blowing. I've heard this one referred to as kind of an open-ended hallucination. And I really do think that yeah. is true. Yeah, it is. If you can get your hands on a copy, Grindhouse Releasing just put this out. Yeah. Uh, th originally, they'd put it out, I think, in I think it was a couple of years ago, and they just came out with like a reissue of it. I was lucky enough to get the reissue with the soundtrack and everything. It looks great, and it's it's a really interesting look at like self delusion and and like you said, that destruction of the American dream or the deconstruction of it. My number three is my second A24 film, and this is one that's probably not going to be a surprise to many. It's it's uh, called Short Term 12. You need to get ready because it's so unbelievable. It's going to seem fake, but I promise you it's not Graceful Vashborn. It depends if you tell it right. There is no way not to tell this right. It is a storyteller's wet dream. <laughs> Short Term 12, this is Grace. Remember, you're not their parent, you're not their therapist. You are here to create a safe environment, and that's it. Got it. Luis, you better be up. So this is how it's gonna be. Community meeting is now in session. Mm, slow this down a little bit. Y'all yeah. ain't got no rhythm, man. Mace, I love you like a brother, but I gotta say that when it come to being discreet, you're a disgrace. I mean, you think we all don't know about him and Grace on the low, undercover, trying to date? <laughs> so nice to me. Well, it's easy. You are the weirdest, most beautiful person that I've ever met. I love that movie. That, yeah. That's, that's an A24 movie? It is. It's fantastic, oh, cool. too. I love that movie. This is about a staff of a residential youth treatment facility as they navigate their own lives while helping other younger people navigate theirs. It deals with multiple mental illnesses stemmed from trauma as children. 
I actually saw this for the very first time with my wife on a plane, which was a mistake. On planes, I like to watch films that are that feel a little bit smaller in scope that I don't need the sound cranked for and I don't need to watch it in my theater. And so we chose this one and it, it took us maybe 30 minutes and we're bawling uncontrollably on the plane with other people definitely looking at us, but we still couldn't keep our eyes off the screen. It's got a really fantastic opening sequence that introduces us to the facility itself and the rules of that facility. Uh, and it introduces us to the cast. This thing has an amazing cast. It's got Brie Larson before she was in Room and before she was Captain Marvel. She's great. John Gallagher Jr., I think, steals the show as Mason. He's kind of the head counselor, and he's also um, Brie Larson's character, Grace. That's her uh, b- her boyfriend. You've got Remy, Ma- Remy Malik in there as Nate. He's a newcomer to the facility, and in this opening sequence... Mason is talking to Nate about, you know, the rules and how things go. And then you have this burst of energy as one of the children runs out of the facility, darting towards the exit, and they all run after him to try and corral him. And this is where you realize anything can really happen in this facility. It deals with people traumatized by many things, but abusive parents is one of those. There's actually a scene in which the character Marcus, played by Lakeith Stanfield, raps a song to Mason. Mason says, hey, you you working on any lines lately? Marcus says, yeah. And he gives him a little drum and he says, you know, play this beat and I'll rap it to you, basically. And Mason's sitting there doing this beat and listening to these heartbreaking lyrics about what Marcus has gone through. And you realize near the end of the song, Mason has stopped the beat altogether because he's just thinking about what Marcus has gone through. It's a really, really intense scene that it's a great song too, but had me in tears. And then there's a powerful side story with Grace and a younger person named Jaden who have similar pasts with their fathers. And yeah, it's a movie that will not leave you with dry eyes, that's for sure. Yeah. And if I recall, if this is a movie I'm thinking of, doesn't the DVD have a, this was based on a short film. Doesn't the DVD have the short film as an extra? It was based on uh, on a short film. Destin Daniel Cretton is the director. I don't know. I, I don't own that physical media copy, but it wouldn't surprise me. My number two pick speaks loud and clear to anybody who has ever been misdiagnosed. Um, I've been misdiagnosed as having agoraphobia, which I don't have. Uh, I've been misdiagnosed as having uh, autism and, and Asperger's, which I don't have. Some anxiety disorders, yes, but um, the other stuff, no. And so the, the, my number two pick, which technically it's a horror movie. I'm going to play the horror movie card on this one. Safe, the 1995 movie directed by Todd Haynes. How are you feeling? I still have this, um, this head thing. What the hell is going on here? It's in the air, in the water. In our homes. Oh my God. It cannot be seen, cannot be heard, cannot be stopped. We can turn it on and off like a switch. We just don't know how to make it go away. It is not alien. It is not viral. You are perfectly healthy. 
You might want to consult someone. A psychiatrist? It is not natural to this earth. Your family and friends tell you that you're overreacting. Where can you go when no place is safe? This movie, when it came out, Todd Haynes was still relatively unknown. I believe he was known just for the superstar uh, Karen Carpenter movie, possibly Poison. But he hasn't he hadn't been a household name director yet. And I remember seeing this movie. Uh, the, basically, it's long story short, Julianne Moore is a, um, a homemaker in, in a very well-to-do uh, Southern California suburb. And she's she's got apparently what the movie portrays as environmental illness. This is a movie like what from 20, 20, 30 years ago, and it, it could be equally relevant to the year twenty twenty with all that's been going on. But she is, um, according to the movie narrative, she has some degree of environmental illness. And after what, by all accounts, were numerous panic attacks more than one panic attack, in, in fact, including one at a, at a baby shower, she ends up getting hospitalized and going to doctor, actually, one, you know, doctor after doctor, including one psychiatrist. And they all kind of are, you know, well, we don't know what's wrong with you. You know, you're, you're, you're as fit as a fiddle, you know. And then she ends up at this uh, inpatient uh, treatment center that is... Some might say is not the best place for her to be, but it sort of is, but sort of is not. And I mentioned a horror movie because in a lot of ways this really is. And it also is about, you know, a large part about, you know, feminism, about, um, you know, class. Because most people, unless they're, you know, the character in the story, they're not going to, they're not going to have the finances and insurance probably won't pay for it to go to, you know, a posh, you know, retreat. Well, not necessarily a retreat, but a, a, a huge treatment center for, you know, residential treatment. Most people will not have that resource available. So you, you've got the feminist aspect, you've got, the, you know, the class aspect, you've got the, you know, the diagnostic aspect, you've got the, um, the you know, the literal face value environmental aspect. And again, this is 20 years ago or, 30, you know, whatever long ago it was. And you watch it today and you're like, whoa, this could have been made today. Because a lot of what they're talking about is you know, allergies to the environment, to you know, all, the, all the air pollution, you know, the, the fires. But it, it just blew me away. There was, uh, again, there's uh, dozens and dozens of movies called Safe. I know there's a, what, a Jason Statham movie. There's <laughs> yes, don't movie. watch that one. This is the one with Julianne Moore. And it just it just blew me away when I saw it. And it still does just blow me away. I think it's one of Julianne Moore's best movies. I, I'm, I'm honestly stunned that it did not get, you know, an Oscar nomination for her. I really wish it would have. I, I, obviously, I, I don't think the studio had the budget for Oscar campaigning. Uh, they probably do now because I know there were some you know, a lot of fairly prominent movies or songs that were in the soundtrack. Um, so obviously had so many, maybe the, maybe all, maybe all the money went to licensing for the songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but this, like I said, this movie just blew me away because it, it, it demonstrates the lengths that someone will go to, to, to get better. Even when they're getting conflicting stories as to, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's, you know, oh, this is wrong with you. And, and 
I can't think of another movie that really demonstrated that as well as Safe did. It's a good look at uh, just like self-help culture as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's one of the things that I really um, that really jumped out at me about it is that it really does. Because yeah, there is that definite self-help culture. I'm I don't want to say ambivalent on a lot of the self-help culture, um, but I think it it does have a um, a rather cynical view of that because because where she goes is along that same self-help route. That's another element of that that this really digs deep into. Absolutely. So that would be my number two pick is safe. My number two is from 1993 and it deals with PTSD. It is one of Jeff Bridges' best performances, I think, of all time. It's a movie called Fearless. You okay? Were you in a crash? No. There was no earthly reason why Max Klein survived the crash of Flight 202. You're alive. Why didn't you call me? I thought I was dead. But it left him with a heightened sense of reality. I think he thinks he's invulnerable. I've seen him with the Vietnam vets. You want to kill me, but you can't! And an extraordinary sense of life. He and your wife are the only survivors I can't reach. She won't talk and he won't admit the crash was bad. He says it was good? Says it was the best thing that ever happened to him. I can't explain it, but you're safe with me. So what are you telling me? That there's no God, but there's you? Is he falling in love with her? It's not love. He wants to save her. He's my best friend. It's like he sent me my own angel. He's not an angel. He's a man. Away from that crash with my life. That's what survived. The taste and touch and beauty of life. I won't give that up. Let me be part of it. Are you familiar with Fearless? I, I am. That is an awesome movie. The, the Peter Weir movie. Yes, Peter Weir, who is not a uh, stranger to movies about mental health. But this, I think, is uh, it's just a fantastic underlooked movie. It's about PTSD and it's about grief. And it follows this character named Max, played by Jeff Bridges. And Max is involved in a plane crash that was based on a 1989 real plane crash in Iowa. And this plane crashes, and he's one of very few survivors. Now, because of this, his personality completely changes, and Max starts to think that he's immortal. And we're kind of taken on this journey of, as in the audience, of thinking whether he is or not. Like, we don't know whether he's immortal or not or if this is something that Max has built up in his mind because of the trauma he's endured. It also follows the mental health of a character named Carla, who's played by Rosie Perez. She's a woman who also survived the crash and is trying to come to terms with losing her baby. Now, of course, it's through no fault of her own, but she believes it's because she didn't hold on tight enough to the baby. So she's dealing with this grief. He's dealing with his post-traumatic stress syndrome and his survivor's guilt, essentially, and they come together to go on this journey. It's a really fantastic performance from Jeff Bridges. I don't know why he was not nominated for an Oscar for this. The movie itself should have been nominated for Best Picture or one Best Picture. It might have been nominated for Best Picture. I remember seeing that, and I I was definitely struck by that movie when when I saw that. It's got one of the most well-done plane crash scenes as well that I've ever seen. 
It's a really fantastic mix of music and visuals. It's so harrowing. It's one of my favorite movies about coming to terms with what's happened and uh, definitely worth a watch. I think it's criminally underseen. That's Fearless from 1993. Time to get to the grand finale, our number one on our list of films that reflect mental health issues. Drum roll, please. And this is going to be probably the, this is my, not only my number one pick, but this is by far, far and away above anyone else. This is the one movie that I think is the best movie about mental illness that I've ever seen and probably ever made. Um, and that movie, I would say, is The Devil and Daniel Johnston. My name is Daniel Johnston. This is the name of my tape. And it's Hi, How Are You? And I, I was having a nervous breakdown when I recorded it. Try to remember, but my feelings can't He's a skinny little kid, fairly demented. And he said, I just wanted to give you my tape. And I put it on the tape player. And it just blew my mind. There's really nothing to even compare it to. It, it goes way beyond Dylan's basement recordings, any other body of work that I can think of. You start off hearing this noise, then eventually you hear the Beatles. You hear the whole symphony. But it was undeniable that something was dreadfully wrong with him. He was thin as a rail and losing weight. Was completely delusional. He was hospitalized almost immediately. <laughs> He was obsessed with the devil and Satan. He became so obsessed that it was all he could talk about. This is Daniel Johnston speaking from a mental hospital. They tell me I'm crazy here. Out come the demons. Daniel Johnston, for those who don't know, was a singer-songwriter who you, you may have heard his songs. You might not know that it was Daniel Johnston. But you may have heard his songs. Daniel Johnston, again, was a legendary singer-songwriter out of, I want to say Texas, initially Austin, Texas. The Reader's Digest version is that he toiled in obscurity for years until Kurt Cobain wore one of his, um, a t-shirt with some of his artwork at the Grammys, and then everyone knew who Daniel Johnston was. I first heard about Daniel Johnston from a Yola, Yola Tango's version of a speeding motorcycle, which is a Daniel Johnston song. And this movie though, oh my God, this movie is, if you want to know what, what depression looks like, if you want to know what bipolar looks like, if you want to know what effect it has on not just the person, but their family, their, their immediate family, as well as their, their friends and family, this movie Far and away, I mean, no comparison. I've never seen another movie that, that, and it's a documentary, obviously, so that might have something to do with it. <laughs> but I can't think of another movie that, that addresses it as well as this movie does. I, obviously, I don't think that when they made this movie, I don't think they were intending for it to be a movie about mental, mental illness, much in the same way that there was a, a Rocky Erickson movie, uh, You're Going to Miss Me Now. Um, that movie, I don't think it's on my top five because I'll, Rocky Erickson, as genius as he is, many people don't know who he is. And his music is not as ubiquitous. Did I say that word correctly? Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. (laughs) Yeah, Rocky (laughs) Erickson is not as ubiquitous as, however you say the word, (laughs) as Daniel Johnston is. So that would be the reason that I I have Devil and Johnny Johnston at number one instead of You're Going to Miss Me, which is another great movie about uh, a musician in trouble, but it's not in, it would not be my top five. This movie, though, it would be my, my number one pick. 
mean, there are stories in this movie that are true. Anyone who's ever been on medication, anyone who's ever um, been friends with someone, a family member or whatnot, this movie, like it just, uh, you know, I'm speechless. It's absolutely compelling. I mean, it's very compelling. I mean, you can appreciate it on a music perspective, which I do, obviously. But watching it from a non-music perspective, you still have to just just scratch your head. This is a guy who turned down a record label from, I would say, Electra. At the time, one of the most highest dollar amount record contracts ever. Like, obviously, it's probably not ever anymore, but at the time it was. He turned it down because Metallica was on the same record label. He felt that Metallica was in cahoots with the devil, as was the um, record label. And so he turned down that record label. Not only that, but that record contract was one of the few record contracts to be drafted up and written while he was in the hospital, which is like unheard of. You know, you don't do that. You know, you don't (laughs) cater to the artist. What are you, crazy? You don't do that. But sure enough, they did it for him. So you've got some guy who's commanding, you know, Frank Sinatra level, you know, Ray Charles level demands of a record company, a guy who has essentially pioneered the art of music licensing because he wasn't getting his music played on, you know, radio per se, at least not, not mainstream top 40 radio. He was on, you know, college radio and independent radio, but not on, you know, mainstream top 40 radio. So he, he was a pioneer of, you know, music licensing of, um, you know, any other different stuff that he was a pioneer. I could go on and on and on about this movie. It is just amazing. I cannot think of another movie that so explicitly and clearly shows the good, you know, the bad, the ugly. And, and there is a lot of ugly stuff in here. I know I'd mentioned, uh, you know, the, with the swimmer, Bird Lancaster, being, being a complete SOB. Daniel Johnston, he has some how do I phrase this delicately? Girl trouble. The movie makes no bones about him having girl trouble. <laughs> um, so it, it is very much a warts and all portrait. It's not a, a an all softball type of infomercial biopic, particularly with a, you know musicians that you'll often see. This one is warts and all. So yeah, I, I, I could just go on and on. This movie, I just love this movie. I cannot begin to count how many, how many people I have recommended this movie to. I've actually had more than one copy that I've lent to, lent to people because the people I've lent it to didn't return it. <laughs> uh, but I actually, I, like I said, this movie is far and away the number one pick probably that I've ever seen of mental illness by far. It's terrifying because it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows you this how uncontrollable mental illness can be, but it's oddly uplifting as well. As oh, you watch it is! It. it is. You when you're done with the movie, you you want to go and and listen to because he's still got bands covering his music. Yeah, I know Beck has covered his yeah, songs Beck, before. Uh, I think Flaming Lips, uh, M Ward, who you know the the she and him with the Zooey Dashnell, uh, M Ward has some. Uh, so every, every and in fact, there was a covers compilation from a Wilco. Um, earlier this year. If anyone is going to a take-home pick, that would be my, my take-home pick, would be Devil and Daniel Johnston. Yeah, his parents are super sweet, too. And yeah, they're... they are. They are. The, the, his parents are the nicest. And you can see the pain that they're in, too. Yeah. 
Just go watch The Devil and Daniel Johnston. You will not regret it. It's one of the best documentaries of a musician that I've ever seen. Yeah, true. My number one also deals with schizophrenia. You had uh, Lilith on your list. This is a, a movie that I don't think many people know about. It's from 1993. It's called Clean Shaven. Killing people out there. Listen to me. I don't think I can let you another song. Don't think about anything else Someone when I'm talking to you. Just listen. Next year it won't be so bad. It's not healthy to sit inside all day and not do anything. You've got to do something. Do you understand? So it's often said that, you know, you won't be able to get a, a film about mental health right unless you've dealt with it yourself. And Lodge Kerrigan has actually said that he suffered from schizophrenia. Uh, essentially, this is about a man named Peter Winter, played by Peter Green in just this powerhouse performance. And he's released at the front of the film. He's released from a mental hospital and he basically sets out to not only function in the real world, but also to find a daughter that he had from a marriage before his illness kind of manifested. Whereas Lilith did not demonize schizophrenia, this film allows you to make decisions at first because there's this kind of side story about these child murders going on. It's not at the forefront of the film, but there is a, a thing in the, there's a scene in the beginning of the film where you have to think to yourself, did he do it? Didn't he do it? And it's up to you to kind of come to the conclusion, are you demonizing it or not? Ultimately, you'll have to watch the film to find out. But the director really puts what he went through on screen with his auditory hallucinations, this intense paranoia and this anxiety. It's a great performance from Peter Green. He's somebody who you might not know his name, but you'll know him when you see him. He's often depicted as these really insufferable bad guy roles, but he's so good in this. There's scenes where he thinks there's a transmitter in his head and he's trying to dig it out. There's a scene where he thinks there's an evil force in his car and we just get to sit with him and watch him kind of deconstruct the inside of his car to try and get this evil force out. And then he starts covering up his car in newspaper. It's, it's a great performance. And from what I've seen, from what I've been told, it's a really accurate depiction of schizophrenia. I think it could have been better if they didn't have the did he do it, didn't he do it side story in there and just focused on him trying to be in the real world and, and meeting this daughter. But I think it's a really accurate depiction of schizophrenia. And um, yeah, that's my pick, Clean Shaven from 1993. It is. And I, I wish that movie had gotten better distribution. I remember seeing it on video, as I recall. I don't think I saw it in a, in a movie theater. Uh, but I think that movie could have it's something that definitely people should seek out because that's a very good movie. Now, there's a really ugly looking copy on YouTube. If you want to seek this out, it, it is on YouTube, but I don't know that anybody's remastered it yet. And I don't think it's on Blu-ray. I could be wrong, but I don't think it is. So that's my number one, 1993's Clean Shaven. So I'm going to ask you this because I know this was kind of a, a topic as we were coming up with the list. Um, what do you think is one of the movies with kind of the, the worst depiction of mental health. Oh, by far, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. By far. 
Um, and, and I say that not to pick on the movie. And, and the reason I mention that is because, you know, and let's get out of this out of the way. It's a good movie. I mean, it won the Oscars, you know, the, the, the major Academy Awards, you know, all top four until uh, Silence of the Lambs. So I'm not going to say it's a bad movie because it's not. It's obviously a good movie. There's no question about that. The issue that I have, and we're seeing it again all over again with the um, Netflix show Ratchet, is that it has become shorthand for assuming the worst about anyone with a mental illness that, I mean, <laughs> which is not fair. A, it's not fair to the movie. You know, if, if you're going to equate a movie with, you know, being shorthand for assuming the worst about it, you know, someone with it, it's not fair to the movie and, and B, it's not fair to the people who are living with a mental illness. You say one floor of the cuckoo's nest, what do you think of? You think of Jack Nicholson. You don't think you don't think of Louis Fletcher. You don't think of, of I think isn't did any Danny DeVito in the movie too? You know you don't think he of is. him. You think of Jack Nicholson because everyone made it. Well, I don't say everyone. The people who have um, equated it with uh, you know so that would be my my um, objection with that is it's and plus there are people who have had electric shock therapy which does still go on today in 2020 both voluntarily as well as involuntarily, oddly enough. But I think that that movie in particular has done tremendous harm. Is there anything that you want other people to know about? This is your time to plug whatever you want. I did want to remind everyone that, that, that you're not alone. And I know if there's, there's a um, helpline in the U.S., which would be you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. And if you're in the UK, you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. The movie's discussed on the show. Obviously, you know, I feel strongly about them. I know you feel strongly about them. But by no means does it mean that you, know, you might not get triggered by them or they may not bring up stuff. So if you, if you do, definitely reach out because you're, you're not alone. And um, you don't have to go through what you're going through alone. I do talk about it more, more um, on a mental health film comment which is the um, podcast I, I do. And it's on the, all, all the major platforms. So That's Mental Health Film Comment. Mental Health Film Comment. Not, not the most creative name, <laughs> but uh, you know, a functional name, I guess you could say. Sometimes that's the best way to go. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Hey, let us know what movies should have been on our list that we left off. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Force5Pod and on Instagram at Force 5 Podcast. Brian is on the show today because he went to the show website, force5podcast.com, which has a show request form. So if you want to talk movies with me on air, head there, request an appearance. It also has other Force 5 related content. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and go watch The Devil and Daniel Johnston. Mm-hmm.